Hello, viewers and listeners. Welcome to another edition of CHP Talks. We're here today, uh, Rod Taylor, CHP leader, and myself, to talk about a couple of things. Um, media bias in relation to a couple of stories, and uh, the Conservative leadership race and the UN Security Council seat bid. Wow. And before we do that, though, we want to talk about one CHP policy that would have saved our country a little bit of embarrassment, a little bit of trouble. Uh, it was reported just earlier this week that China had uh, rejected some logs, wooden logs, you know, trees that were cut down, that were sent over there because there was there were invasive uh, bugs, beetles in those logs, and so they rejected them and sent them back, and rightly so. They don't want to have those invasive bugs over there uh, destroying their trees. And uh, so how would CHP's policy have saved us this embarrassment? Well, of course, we think that uh, logs cut in Canada should be processed in Canada by Canadian workers and uh, do the value-added process here, not uh, in general. And, and my hat's off to all those who are in the logging industry. Some people are, are working now because they're able to ship logs overseas, and, and uh, this is no slight on them. But as a policy for the country, <clears throat> generally, our resources should be processed here. And that goes for oil, that goes for uh, water, uh, that goes for um, wood products. Anything that we can do to raise value here and keep jobs in Canada should be done. So when we ship raw logs to China or Japan or anywhere else, and uh, workers over there turn them into uh, usable uh, products, then uh, we're, we're missing out on the value-added portion. Uh, this that you've referenced, uh, Peter, is, is kind of different because uh, it, it's, uh, there's been a failure in, on our part here. I'm not quite sure what the process is for raw logs, but one of the benefits of uh, doing the sawing and milling of lumber in our country is that we can process the final product uh, usually through heat treating or kiln drying, and uh, that, that kills the bugs. Uh, when I worked in the lumber industry here at Kiowood Forest Products at um, Morristown, close by here, um, we had a process, and even the, uh, the pieces, of, little pieces of lumber that are underneath a load of lumber uh, that are used to strap it on, it's called dunnage, and uh, we had to stamp that, that it would, had been heat treated or kiln dried. And there was a, an official stamp. We worked with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency and they actually came and inspected our product, made sure that the stamp was legible, made sure that we were following the procedures so that even that little piece of wood that's under a load of lumber uh, was free of pests. So, so there's a, you know, a benefit to everyone following the rules. We're following a lot of rules now with COVID-19 to try to keep from uh, <clears throat> sending a pestilent uh, virus to somebody else. And of course, Canada has a responsibility not to be shipping our invasive pest to other countries. So anyway, it, it's an interesting story. And it's also interesting that China now is finding various uh, ways to embarrass <clears throat> countries uh, with whom she disagrees. And I think, you know, some of these things are a result of the uh, uh, capture of uh, Ming Wangzhou uh, and the Huawei thing that, you know, there's certainly been 
a backlash from that uh, on China's part. But uh, anyway, we, we think our policies <clears throat> are the best policies to keep the jobs in Canada, and then uh, we can, can better control uh, any uh, invasive pests that might be uh, hiding in the lumber. So again, that's a, a policy of keeping jobs in Canada, value-added in Canada. And uh, for more policies that are common sense like this, go to chp.ca. And if you're not a member, you can also become a member there. And if you'd like to make a donation, you can also make a donation there, chp.ca. Hope that you'll check that out. So getting on to the uh, main stories that we want to cover today, um, the first was the UN Security Council um, bid. We, Canada and especially the Trudeau government had been trying to get that seat for uh, more than four years, I believe. They'd been uh, really campaigning for it. Apparently, Trudeau had spent many hours and many taxpayer dollars on it. And yesterday we found out that he didn't get it. He didn't even come close. He wasn't even second. He was a distant, distant third. So, you would think that the headlines today would be, you know, embarrassing loss for Trudeau, embarrassing loss for the Liberals, but it was a more bland, you know, Canada loses out on the Security Council seat. It's true, that headline is true, but it doesn't really do justice to what would have been the headline if there had been a triumph. If the Liberals had been able to get that seat, it would have been, you know, much louder, Trudeau triumphs, you know, you can just imagine it. Yeah. That's just the way the media is these days. So just think about that. And uh, when you're reading headlines, um, these things are sometimes the bias that you don't read. It's just what they don't stay. Of course, the media did. Bad. But there's a lot more to it, of course, than that. So in terms yeah. of the UN security seat, it's a big loss for us, yes or no? What do you think? Well, uh, first of all, back up on the media bias side of things, uh, the media did bash Mr. Harper when he similarly uh, failed to uh, win a seat or when Canada was not awarded a seat on Security Council. And um, at that time, the media acted like, of course, it's because of Mr. Harper's, uh, you know, terrible position on various uh, issues. And I'm not sure what terror spin is it on is on it now. The important thing that uh, that I recall going back to January and February when Mr. Trudeau was, uh, you know, kind of parading around in Africa and various places around the world, trying to win favor to uh, to win this seat. He's been at this for a while. This was a something he really wanted to achieve. <clears throat> While he was over there. Our country, uh, sort of the Nero fiddling while Rome burns thing, we had rail blockades going on here that were paralyzing uh, Canada's economy, and COVID was just starting to become a thing at that time. There was uh, news about it. It wasn't really uh, clear what was going to happen with COVID, but all that time, um, uh, Mr. Trudeau was over across the seas uh, uh, speaking with foreign dignitaries and trying to win this seat, which, of course, uh, he did not win. By the time he came home, the rail blockades had been going on for so long, and he basically, in desperate measures, you know, cut deals uh, without thinking them through. And we're going to all have to live with the consequences of that. But had he been home and meeting with uh, the people who were concerned and, and maybe actually enforcing the law as it should have been enforced, 
uh, we wouldn't be where we are today. So anyway, yeah. the UN there's, and Harper there's actually just got back yeah. to the point on Harper for a second. Harper actually got more votes than Trudeau. Even I, he may have campaigned to the same extent, but it wasn't it wasn't a headline that he was doing it. So for all that, he's yeah. So, uh, you know, some people call this uh, a vanity project for our prime minister. And in some ways, the UN itself is a vanity project. There's a, a lot of things going on there and a lot of uh, issues. Canada, I mean, our representation there through our ambassador uh, has been often an embarrassment to us in, the, you know, who are social conservatives um, because Canada has been pushing things like abortion around the world even in countries where it's illegal, uh, Canada's uh, representatives, uh, we, we are kind of leading the charge on things like gender confusion and enforcing things that many of us think are, are bad ideas. And then uh, Canada also seems to want to go along with, if it comes out of the UN, we're supposed to uh, bow down to it and say, oh, that's, uh, that's great, that's the, represents the feelings of the world. But, you know, these ambassadors uh, who have a vote from many countries, including many countries where slavery is still practiced and where other human rights violations are going on, um, you know, why should Canada bow the knee to those things? So what are, what are your thoughts, uh, Peter, about, about the UN? Well, as, as you were saying, some of the countries that are like, there's, there's a certain number of permanent seats on the Security Council where Canada was trying to get a temporary seat. And one of the countries that has the permanent seat is China. And, um, you know, so it's a, um, yeah, it's, it's a veneer. Um, I mean, it's good to have a I mean, it's better it's supposed to have a veneer of civility than to have a right hostility. But um, it's it's really um, an interesting dynamic when you have you know the United States and China who are not necessarily on great terms both on that same council. You do wonder if it will even be an effective um, organization at a certain point. Well, there's a few points there about you know China not only has a seat on the Security Council but even on the UN Human Rights Council. And right. when you think of how China treats its own people. Um, you know, the, the persecution of the Uyghurs, uh, the Falun Gong, uh, Christians right now, there's churches being uh, torn down, there's uh, Bible-believing people being taken off to jail for assembling, not because of COVID, but because of their faith, and um, organ harvesting from political prisoners. I mean, there's so much wrong with China's human rights record, and yet, China is sitting on the UN Human Rights Council. So, you know, any decisions coming out of that uh, council, you'd have to really question uh, whether they're, uh, you know, valid or whether Canada should even be paying any attention. Whether Canada should even maintain any presence at the UN is a big question to me because, uh, you know, if you're a, a member of a, an organization and it's going every way that you don't want to go, um, you know, why, why stay with it? Of course, uh, the UN is pretty much in lockstep with uh, Mr. Trudeau's vision for Canada, so I see why he stays with it. But I think the, the rest of us, uh, you know, ordinary common sense people should really be questioning Canada's uh, continuing role in the UN at all. Well, okay.
So another thing that happened in Parliament yesterday, and I'll just segue with this to a, a major topic, um, is that uh, uh, the leader of the NDP, Jagmeet Singh, was actually um, uh, forced out of Parliament for the remainder of the session um, because he had called one of the uh, Bloc Québécois MPs uh, racist. And so that was uh, not considered acceptable, and so he was told to, to leave. And uh, it's a really interesting, it's an odd story. Um, he really saw the uh, blocks, um, well, the blocks actually blocked a unanimous uh, consent motion um, on the RCMP. So that was uh, the, the, the thing that started it. But um, he's actually one of the, um, one of, well, he's, he's not the first, he's not the only um, minority Sikh member in parliament. Um, there's actually quite a few, there have been over time, but he's the first leader of a party um, in parliament um, to be uh, Sikh, as far as I know. Pretty sure about that, actually. Um, but uh, anyway, so he's, you know, so he's, he called someone else racist, but then he was, you know, told to, that he had, uh, that, that was disorderly and unacceptable, and so he had to leave the chamber. Um, but it seems as though he was just really sad by the direction things had gone and, and aggravated by them. Did you actually want to add something to that, Rod, well, in particular? You know, you know the point is, uh, often with the NDP and the, and the left, I suppose it's a general trend in our society today, but when you don't agree with someone, you call them a name. And uh, when I was young, my parents uh, kind of discouraged that approach to life. And at the parliament, I mean, uh, we would think that our elected representatives would use the opportunity to debate the issues, but yes. to say, and the reason he called him a racist is because he didn't vote for, um, you know, the motion. and. And I think, uh, you know, why do we send our elected representatives there to have a vote and a voice? <clears throat> so just, I think, to turn around and just call someone a racist, uh, it wasn't a racist act that, that uh, you know, or racist words that the man uttered. He just didn't fall in line with what Jagmeet Singh thought he should do. Mm -hmm. And so he threw those words out. And, uh, yeah, I thought it was unusual that they asked him to leave the house for the day. Um, it's sort of like telling someone to go stand in the corner until they, you know, get their act together. So hopefully uh, some semblance of civility will uh, will carry on here. But it's part of the whole part and parcel of what's going on uh, with the Black Lives Matter and all that stuff going on uh, that uh, everyone is supposed to get in the same boat and sing the same tune. And people who have a nuanced view of it or want to uh, discuss certain aspects of it are, are uh, you know, the tendency is just call them racists and uh, uh, discount their opinions entirely. And that's uh, certainly not fair. So I think it was, uh, you know, kind of interesting that that happened to Jagmeet Singh. So we'll have to be careful then in the next topic um, that we're not going to accuse anyone of <laughs> racism, but instead... Um, point out an inconsistency. Um, the Conservative uh, Party had its uh, first leadership debate last night. Um, they've got four contenders that are still left. And um, one of them is Leslie Lewis, 
and uh, she is she's born in Jamaica. She's a visible minority, and um, she is the kind of a voice, as the as the media likes to say, that um, should be some one that everyone is listening to. Um, you know, if I can just hear Trudeau, if it was one of his members of parliament um, that was of that background of her education, um, he would be trumpeting, you know, we, these are the voices we need to listen to, right? Um, but as the case is, um, she's received some media attention, um, but rightly so. Um, she's running for the leadership of uh, the Conservative Party. And, um, and so all of them should have some coverage. But um, she's a minority. And, um, and, and she is interviewed by the CBC, but she complained about it afterwards because they cut out the part where she criticized Trudeau. And uh, and they didn't want to show that particular part. So her voice matters, her opinion matters, except when she criticizes Trudeau. Wow. Um, so that's not racism. It's biological. I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it's it's bigotry um, in terms of ideology. Uh, sorry about that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> the uh, interesting thing, and and we didn't mention it was the French language debate uh, last night. The English language debate is tonight. But the two social conservatives, uh, Leslie Lewis and Derek Sloan, were quite clear. Uh, and, and it's it's fair to say that uh, none of the candidates are 100% uh, fluent. Uh, it's not their native language, uh, French. Uh, Leslie Lewis and Derek Sloan probably were at the most disadvantage because both of them have only really uh, begun practicing and learning their French skills within the last year. So uh, hats off to them. They did, I thought, a, a credible job. They, they got through the debates and were able to make uh, some of their points. Uh, they didn't get the time that uh, O'Toole and McKay got. Every time they opened it for a five-minute, uh, you know, open session, uh, Mr. McKay and Mr. O'Toole went at each other, hammer and tongs, uh, accusing each other mostly of not being far enough to the left. Uh, they, you know, one would accuse the other, "Oh, you didn't support LGBTQ uh, rights," and the other one, "Oh, I sure did, and you didn't." And it was back and forth. It was kind of embarrassing, I thought. Uh, embarrassing exchange but aside from the uh, kind of evident uh, uh, hostility of the situation and each one saying I'm the one and uh, to only one that can lead the party and whatever um, they left out Dr. Leslie Lewis and Derek Sloan significantly like the the two uh, what who have considered themselves the front runners uh, Leslie Lewis did challenge that assumption and uh, I think fairly so, uh, just because someone thinks that they should be in front doesn't mean that they are in front. And uh, voters in the Conservative Party are going to have plenty of time to look at this. But, but um, you know, uh, Derek Sloan uh, made a lot of bold statements. I mean, he came right out of the gate to talking about uh, abortion um, and, uh, you know, gender issues, freedom of speech. 
uh, debt and deficit. He talked on, talked on a lot of issues, uh, his concerns about WHO and uh, Theresa Tam. Uh, he didn't, there's no hidden agenda there. He's uh, talking about what he believes. And Leslie Lewis, uh, she was uh, very clear that the family is the center centerpiece of society and of our, you know, culture, and that she was there to defend the family. So we appreciate them. Uh, the other two, I, I'm just going to say for those who are involved, uh, you know, we're in the Christian Heritage Party where we all agree on some of these issues, but for those uh, that are still trying to uh, do something within the Conservative Party, uh, it's crystal clear Aaron O'Toole and Peter McKay have declared themselves pro-abortion and, uh, you know, pro every aspect of LGBTQ uh, expansion. So, um, you know, the, the choices are pretty clear there for those involved in that, uh, who will be voting in that race. Yep. I suppose if one of the social conservatives uh, wins and uh and Peter McKay or Aaron O'Toole feel out of place. There's lots of room for them in the Liberal Party in terms of their uh, their overall morality. They, they'll yeah. fit right in in terms of their stand on abortion. That's yeah. really the sad truth. Yeah, yeah. They're not far off of the uh, Liberal agenda on, on the social issues, that's for sure. Yeah. On a few other issues, they're, you know, they're, obvi they're marginally better, but those main issues, life and death, um, they're very disappointing. And the way that they're fighting each other really makes should make you question their integrity. The two others, the the, the friends of life, are um, not at each other's throats, and I think that's a credit to them. I will encourage them if they're watching to keep that up, be a credit to each other, and uh, be um, show that politics can be done um, in a civil and responsible way. Yeah, I didn't see either of the two, Derek or uh, Leslin, uh, taking any cheap shots at any of the candidates, including the two uh, red Tories. They just basically said, well, I'm here representing uh, my values. Uh, they were even asked, who would you want uh, people to put as a second choice? And, you know, they both declined to uh, to say that. They just said, well, our um, members can make that decision. I'm I'm here representing uh, you know, my point of view. And, and so I thought uh, they handled themselves uh, reasonably well, certainly under the uh, awkwardness of not being fluent in French. And uh, tonight, uh, they will have a, a better opportunity, I think, to get their ideas out to the public. Well, that's, uh, so the hope Hopefully that informs you. If you're watching and you're a Conservative Party member, hopefully that will be of some help, that uh, brief analysis, and there may be more to come in the, uh, in the months ahead, but uh, it's, uh, it's a start. And um, Rod, you just wanted to make, I think, uh, one last point on a Supreme Court decision in the U.S., yes. and we'll wrap um, it up. Uh, thanks. Uh, across the border, uh, I mean, we always watch what's going on in the U.S. as well as in Canada, where we are uh, closely related, not only geographically, but uh, we, we function in similar type of democratic uh, process. And uh, we have a similar kind of cultural war going on uh, in each country. Um, you know. And so in the United States, the Supreme Court made a very unfortunate decision Monday, and they basically redefined the word sex from the 1964 
Civil Rights Act. It was, uh, I thought, quite unfortunate. Um, and especially it was disappointing because the the justice who wrote the decision and for the majority was Justice Neil Gorsuch, who was one of Trump's appointees and one that people felt was going to uh, stick with constitutional principles. And in this case, uh, we've seen this happen so often in Canada and in the U.S., where the court has taken upon itself to re to redefine and in a way, they're legislating from the bench. They're making laws that the rest of the country is basically uh, going to have to live with. And by by saying that the word sex in the 1964 Civil Rights Act referred also to sexual orientation, transgenderism, and so on. I mean, first of all, I think it's dishonest. As some have pointed out in 1964, very few people knew even what the word transgender meant. Uh, and it was not included in any way, shape, or form. And so by doing that, they've basically made it so that uh, an employer uh, cannot have any discretion regarding a, a hiring or firing of an individual based on gender identity, sexual orientation. And, and in many cases, if this is, uh, you know, uh, working on a railroad or piling lumber, as I did many years, uh, then, uh, you know, certainly that it makes sense. But in a sensitive uh, position, uh, a Christian organization wanting to function according to Christian principles and to have uh, someone suddenly, uh, one of your staff members begin to manifest, uh, you know, a man dressing as a woman and so on, uh, where it affects what you're doing. It impacts your uh, ability to function as a Christian organization. Um, but they've been denied that. And, and there are more cases coming, but this one has kind of set the table. There is a lot of concern whether churches will be able to uh, insist on hiring, you know, Christians for their activities. <clears throat> and of course, it has implications for the sports industry as well, uh, both amateur and professional sports, where uh, men who claim to be women are now winning a lot of uh, the contests, winning titles and, uh, you know, even scholarships to universities and so on. Uh, and because they're claiming to be a woman and they're competing against uh, actual women, uh, biological women and girls who have a smaller, you know, a, a smaller bone structure and, you know, less muscle mass and all that. So, so it raises a lot of questions. And again, uh, it's a disappointment that someone you thought was going to stand up for constitutional principles uh, has gone the other way. So we'll see what kind of implications that has for Canada. Well, these Supreme Court decisions from other countries do tend to affect one another, especially um, among uh, countries such as uh, yeah, Canada, US, and uh, Australia, Great Britain, these sorts of things. These courts look at each other and um, they seem to reference each other, even though it's not really, um, there's not a good uh, precedent for that. They, they do. So it, it may have implications for Canada, so we can't turn a blind eye to it. Yeah. Well, again, thanks for watching, all of you. Thanks, Rod, for uh, the, your thoughts on um, all these issues. Bit of a grab bag today. But we uh, hope to see you again next week for another edition of CHP Talks. Thanks, Peter, and uh, God bless you all.